As most of you know, I've been preaching through the Incarnation on, during the month of December. And today we're going to be looking at the Incarnation from Joseph's perspective. And Joseph and Mary, just a little bit of information about them. It's not like we're ignorant of them, but sometimes a good refresher course is, is good for us. Joseph and Mary were both of royal lineage. Uh, they, they had um, royal blood in them. They were from the line of David. Uh, in addition to that, Mary, uh, perhaps on her mother's side of the family, was related to the priesthood. For we find that Zacharias was a priest and she was related to Zacharias and Elizabeth. And so there was a connection there as well. Joseph was a carpenter. Now, being a carpenter was not a bad job, uh, but it wasn't necessarily a, uh, a high-paying job, especially for a young man. And they were extremely poor. You say, Pastor, how do you know they were extremely poor? Well, when, they, when it came time to give the, uh, the required offerings for your child when, when they would go to the temple and make their offering. They offered the lowest of the low offerings. There was, and that, the only way you could do that is if that's all you had. Uh, and so they offered a couple of birds as their offering instead of anything larger than that. And so they were very poor. Their betrothal or engagement uh, was Joseph's vow in the presence of witnesses and a payment of a dowry and it was usually closed by a special prayer. So this was a very significant time. A little bit different than in our culture where engagement is just, you know, a haphazard type of thing. And it's, a lot of people don't take it all that seriously. And, you know, you might just propose to your girlfriend all by yourself. Nobody's around type of thing. Like, But this was very sober. It was a little ceremony. It was a, it was a very serious, sober time. And a very, very uh, serious time. Uh, because from the moment of their, uh, that Mary was betrothed as wife to Joseph, their relationship was sacred. And from that moment on, they had already, uh, it was as if they'd already been married, yet they must keep themselves pure and not come together until their wedding day. So the betrothal time for the Jews was very, very serious, sober time. And the only thing that could break that was a uh, formal divorce. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But, so it just gives you a little bit of a background of their situation. And we don't know how long they'd been engaged or betrothed. We don't, God doesn't give us any of those details. But Joseph and Mary were planning to get married. And the young couple perhaps had all kinds of dreams of their wedding day, like all young couples do. Uh, thinking of, you know, living happily ever after, probably in the town of Nazareth where they were presently at. We don't know for sure that, um, that Joseph was from that area, uh, but Mary's family was li- lived there. For, for We'll meet that next week. We'll see how Mary was in Nazareth. That's where they, she evidently grew up. Um, and so Joseph may have been from the same area as well, may have planned on... Uh, settling down there in Nazareth and living happily ever after. But without question, the announcement of the incarnation of Christ to Joseph Ears absolutely, totally changed his life. And as we look at that this morning, I want us to notice three of Joseph's responses to the incarnation of Christ. And as we do, I'm going to point out some principles and things as well that can help us in our walk and in our everyday activities as well. But first of all, notice that Joseph's first response was disbelieving. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse number 18. 
Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, that was very significant. You know, God doesn't waste any words when he wrote the scriptures. And he told us exactly what we needed to hear there. He said they were espoused, they were engaged, and it was before they came together. And he specifically specifies that because what had taken place is beyond human comprehension. How can a woman that's not married and never had any kind of uh, intimate relationships with a man be pregnant with a child? Impossible, humanly speaking. But God makes clear that. Then it goes on, and then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, that's a significant statement. He was a righteous man. He was walking with God. Not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Right now, as we see this, Mary's news to Joseph was incredible. He's saying, this just cannot be. That can't possibly happen. And Shortly after the angel had spoken to Mary, and next week we're going to be looking at the incarnation from Mary's perspective. And so I don't want to go into that and kind of spoil next week's. But the angel came to Mary and told her that she was supernaturally going to conceive divinely and that she was going to have the Christ child. And who she told about this, we don't know. She may not have told very many people. My guess, she probably told her father and mother. And the reason for that is because in those days, the engagement was often more of a parental agreement than it was even of the young people that are getting married. Uh, The parents were very highly involved in that. And that's not a bad idea. You know, young people today think, oh, you know, mom and dad choose my spouse. No way, man. But at the same time, having mom and dad involved is very, very wise because young people often make foolish choices and they don't think carefully. But anyway, back to this. Mary's parents probably knew about it, but Mary didn't tell. It doesn't appear that she told Joseph at the time. And she went off right after she conceived and right after the angel talked to her and went to see her Auntie Elizabeth. Because remember, the angel told Mary that Elizabeth was also expecting. Now, Elizabeth was an old lady at this time and way past childbearing age. And yet God used a miracle in Zacharias and Elizabeth's lives to allow her to have a child in her old age. And that child was John the Baptist. And so Mary went there probably to talk to Mary, probably to share her heart. You know, it's what she just heard and what God had told her that Elizabeth had heard. And Elizabeth hadn't told a whole lot of people yet either. And so she went to see and uh, to uh, be with them. And now, in, picture in your mind, Nazareth is way up the top of Israel, up near Galilee. And Elizabeth lived down in Judea, way down south. And so there was a couple of days travel to get down south 
to where Elizabeth lived, and that's where she went. And so she went there and spent three months with Elizabeth. And it was just about time, so when she got there, Elizabeth was about six months pregnant, and so she stayed until just about the time of the delivery of the baby. Now, why she didn't stay until it was delivered, I don't know. But, you know, she left apparently just before the delivery and headed back home. And when she got back home, news reached then to Joseph that Mary was expecting a baby. Now, we are not told in the Bible whether Mary told Joseph or whether Mary's dad told Joseph or whether he found out some other way. But one thing we know for sure is that Joseph didn't believe the story. And Joseph knew enough about the story to say, listen, this doesn't add up. You know, that just doesn't happen. And he was he was not uh convinced of that but because of the seriousness of the situation we'll see how serious it was in just a moment i believe that it very likely was her father that came to joseph and told him the story that's my theory because it was an extremely serious situation extremely serious now joseph felt that he had in their culture and in biblical you know according to the bible he had two choices first choice was to make her a public example. And according to the scriptures, if he was to make her a public example, it would cost her life. And, but I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit here, so let me just back up for a moment and, and, and not get ahead of myself. You know, this, this thought here that... Mary was expecting a baby, and it was supposed to be divine, and it was supposed to be a miracle, and it was supposed to have come from God. And Joseph says, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. And yet he was a righteous man. He was a just man. His hopes and dreams were shattered. He felt like he'd been betrayed. He felt like she had cheated on him, and something wasn't right. And he just said, I can't swallow that story. That just doesn't make sense. You know, the problem Joseph was, of, of Joseph's reasoning was, reasoning was that he was leaving God out of the equation. And without God, Mary's story was incredible. I mean, you think about it. If someone came to you and said, oh, I, I, I'm expecting a baby, but it came from God. You know, I don't know anything. I'm not knowing a man. It was, it was, he'd say, yeah, right. All right. I mean, it's, it didn't make any sense. And so her story was incredible when you leave God out of the story. However, God is not limited by the laws of nature, and we need to remember that. And throughout the Bible, that they, this is true over and over again with all the supernatural events described in the Bible. You know, you look at those, and that's why so many people in our world today say, yeah, right, Jesus walked on the water. You know, that happens every day, you know. And, and so Jonah got swallowed by fish and lived for three days and then got spit out and took off walking again. Yeah, right, right. And, I mean, all the stories of the Bible, that you hear this, or the resurrection from the dead and all these, and people in the world are skeptical, and they say, oh, I don't buy that kind of stuff. You know, that just that doesn't add up. But what they're saying is that from a human perspective, it doesn't add up, but we can, we must not, Depend upon our feelings, we must believe God. And God is greater than our feelings. God is greater than nature. And we cannot even explain the existence of life without God. You know, scientists, you know, they'll, they'll mock God and laugh at God, but you say, all right, you create life. Well, we haven't figured out how to do that yet. And they never will. Because God gives life. 
And so the very bottom, the, the very essence of our world and our life comes from God. Man can't do that. Man cannot give life to anything. And so the idea that God cannot do the supernatural is we live in a world where God is constantly doing the supernatural. And so don't allow ourselves to just leave God out of the, out of the situation in the equation and just say it doesn't make any sense. Now, in love, Joseph planned for a private divorce. He was devastated, and yet he knew he had two courses of action to take. One was he could privately divorce his engaged wife, or he could publicly have her put to death. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 13 to 21, it says if if there's a situation of this nature where someone has been unfaithful during their engagement, they could be put to death for that. And Joseph, because he loved his wife, didn't want that to be the case. He didn't want to put her away. And the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. Now listen very carefully. This will help you to understand some things that are confusing. The book of Matthew was written to the Jews, whereas Mark, Luke, and John were written to different audiences. Mark was written to Romans, and Luke and John were written to other than just Jews. Matthew was written to the Jews. And so there are things in the book of Matthew that aren't mentioned in any of the other books. Or there's things that Matthew highlights more than is mentioned in other books. It's a very Jewish book. There's a, a lot of Jewish type of things in the book of Matthew. And he talks about a lot of things that only make good sense to the Jews. And the Jews, in, the Jews had a very strong betrothal engagement period. So much so that the only thing that could break that engagement was a formal divorce. Because once they took those vows that I will marry that woman, even though the marriage hadn't been consummated, it was a legal contract. And they were considered husband and wife, even though they hadn't formalized their marriage with a marriage ceremony. And Matthew is the only author that uses the phrase, except for fornication, when it comes to the issue of divorce. And I believe the reason that he uses that term, except for fornication, is because the Jews allowed divorce during the engagement when there could be a fornication that was involved and the Jews allowed it during that time. Mark doesn't mention it. Luke, John don't mention it. Paul doesn't mention those things. The only one that mentions this exclusion or this exception is Matthew. And you've got to ask yourself, even people that say, no, I don't buy that line of thinking. Well, then you've got to answer the hard question. Why didn't Mark mention it? Why didn't Paul mention it? Why didn't anybody else mention the exception? It's, I believe it's because it was exclusively for the Jews and it was during that time permitted during the engagement period, not once they were formally came together in marriage. Now, because Joseph truly loved Mary, he was minded to put her away privately or privily. He didn't want to divorce her uh, in, in a public way. He didn't want to have her put to death. He didn't want to shame her. And he wanted to do it privately because he loved her. Now, though we live in an age when sexual activity outside of marriage is commonplace, it does not make it right. And as Christians, we need to be on guard that in our, in our mindset, we don't allow that to somehow 
penetrate our thoughts and think, well, you know, everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. And we need to remember that right and wrong are not relative. They are absolutes based on the Bible. And the Bible must be our standard. We need to go back to the Bible and say, the Bible said this is right and this is wrong. And so the Bible needs to be our standard of right and wrong. And we need to depend upon the Bible. Now, if you want God's blessing on your life, then obey God's word, not your feelings. It doesn't matter what we feel like or what we think or what society says. We need to obey the Bible if we want God's blessing on our life. And so, good thoughts for us to think on there. So, first of all, we see here Joseph's disbelief. Secondly, I want us to notice that Joseph was devoted. Joseph was devoted. Verse number 20, it says, While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived is her in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, Joseph received the information, or the confirmation, from an angel in a dream. And we ask ourselves, you know, does God still do that today? Is God still giving people dreams and giving, him, giving them information that they need, you know, their instructions? Is that where we get our instructions from God, from dreams? And, things? and the answer is no. And the reason that there's a difference between Joseph's day and our day is that we have 66 books right here, all bound in one volume. All that we need is right here. God's given us his word. Joseph didn't have that. If Joseph probably didn't even own it. I'm old, very few people ever, especially not a poor guy, own even one of the scrolls of the Old Testament. That was an unheard of thing. But we have all of it, all 66 books, and every one of us have multiple copies of it and digital copies of it. And we, we have it before us, and it is there to guide us. God doesn't need to give us dreams and visions to show us his revelation. He says, read the word. Read the word. Just this morning as I was on my walk, I was pondering uh, a passage that I, I need to preach on again. For my sake, maybe it'll help you as well. But there's some verses in James. I call the the victory steps. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. As I was thinking about that, submit yourselves there to God. You know, yield to God. Sounds like yielding to the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? You know, God, Spirit, Holy Spirit. And we yield to God. He says, if we do that and resist the devil, then draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And I thought, now how do we draw near to God? Right there, we need to spend time with God in his word and on our knees in prayer. And, you know, there's so much that we can gain by just going to the Word and, and, and studying the Bible and praying. You know, it's, it's a shame that so many Christians are illiterate spiritually. And it's their, the reason that they don't, that's the reason they are, is because they don't spend quality time in the Bible. Spend time in the book. It'll make a huge difference in your life. And read the Bible again and again and again and meditate upon it and ponder it. You know, you can, you can read a book again and again. If you took one of the New Testament books, like the book of Timothy or Ephesians or one of the other ones, and you read the whole thing every day, it takes, for those shorter books, you could probably read it in 10, 15 minutes. Read the entire book every single day for a month. 
And you will be amazed what you learn. Every day you'll learn something you didn't see before. You say, I've re- I read this thing 30 times and I, I never saw that before. It's amazing because there's so much in this book. So we need to spend time reading the Bible. It'll be a great help to us and it'll guide us. Now, note the angel's words to Joseph. He very clearly speaks to him and he says, Joseph. Now, the very fact that he called him Joseph, the angel knew who he was. Because the angel sent, was sent from God. So he called him by name, and he said, Joseph, thou son of David. Now that statement was significant because it indicated that the angel was addressing him as part of the royal family of David. And so he knew he, who he was. He addressed him as part of the royal family. And he says, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Now notice there, he calls him Mary thy wife. But he was to take her unto him. They hadn't come together yet. He says, don't be afraid to finish or finalize your marriage. It's okay. God approves of that. And so God was telling him to not be fearful to do this, but to go ahead and and formally finish their marriage. Now the angel assured him that for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God placed that baby in her just like you were told. And that word you heard was seemed incredible, but it was true. And he says, you can believe that. It was from God. And so the angel was assuring him of this. And it, we find in verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now, there's much in this verse. She's going to bring forth a son. Now, you get a 50-50 chance there. But this one here, he says, you're going to have a son. or She's going to have a son. And this son came from God, and you're going to call his name Jesus. Now, it's significant there that the angel specifically told Joseph, you are to name this boy Jesus. Now, the word Jesus literally means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. And he says, you are to name that boy that name, Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now he's getting a bigger picture. This boy that's going to be born is a miracle baby. He came from God. He is going to be named Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. He's going to save the people from their sins. You know, many of the Jews had this idea that that the Messiah was going to rescue them from Rome and rescue them from slavery and rescue them from all the troubles of their society. And Jesus, from the very onset, the angel said he's going to save them from their sins. You know, a lot of times we we look at our world and we think, oh, if, if we could just fix these problems in our world and stop these issues in our world, what a better world we'd have. But the real problem is sin. The real problem is sin. Not the issues that result from sin. The problem is sin. And we need to deal with the sin so that we can deal with the issues. The issues will go away if you deal with the sin. And the same thing is true in every one of our lives. If you're married and you're having conflicts, the reason you're having conflicts is because there's some sin involved somewhere. I'm not saying you're being immoral. I'm saying somebody's not doing something biblically. And if you're not doing something biblically, there's going to be conflicts. Same thing with children. If they're not obeying their parents biblically, there's going to be conflicts. Every time, every kind of a relationship we have, if we sin, if sin gets involved, 
it's, it's going to cause conflicts because we cannot have sin and have God's peace at the same time. And so we need to make sure we deal with things properly. Now the angel goes on in verse 22 and says, And now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the, of the Lord by the prophet saying. Now what prophet is he talking about? He's talking about Isaiah. Now how long ago did Isaiah live prior to this? Well, Isaiah lived 700 B.C. 700 years before Christ. 700 years earlier, Isaiah wrote, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. This is a quotation or a paraphrase of what Isaiah had said 700 years earlier. Now that, once again, is, is a, an encouragement because Isaiah was prophesying of the Messiah and now he's quoting this. The angel tells Joseph what Isaiah said 700 years ago is coming to pass and it's coming to pass in Mary, your wife. She's going to bring forth a son and you're going to call his name Emmanuel. Why? Because it's interpreted God with us. Now, all this is buzzing through Joseph's head. Can you imagine, you know, hearing all this information? The angel tells him, Mary is expecting. And Mary was, is, is expecting because she's conceived of the Spirit of God and God is living in her. She is, the baby is going to be Jesus. He's going to be Jehovah is salvation. He is going to be Emmanuel, God with us in human flesh. God living in a human body, hard to comprehend. And all of this is, you know, Joseph soaking this in, he's thinking, whoa, this is hard to, hard to get grips on. I mean, can you imagine, put yourself in Joseph's situation. That would have been a hard one for Joseph to just take it all in. And yet, the angel was very clearly speaking with him, and there was no question in Joseph's mind. He wasn't having a hallucination. He didn't eat so much pizza before bed. He was, he, was, he was hearing from God. He was hearing from God. And God was confirming that in his heart. Now, Joseph heard this, uh, that Mary's conception was divine and that she was the mother of the promised Messiah, Emmanuel, Jesus, the one who would save her people from their sins. And when he heard that, what did he do? It totally changed his heart. He was so just. He was so devoted to God that when God made it clear what he wanted, Joseph said, okay, that's fine. I accept. And you know, what a difference it would make in your life and mine if we're wrestling with something and we find something in Scripture and God tells us clearly, this is what I want. And we say, okay, God. I accept. I'll do it. Even though it's against what I want, even though it's going to be hard, even though it's going to make a difficult change in my life, I I see it clearly in the Scripture. God said, this is what I want you to do. And I say, okay, God, I accept. I'll do it. And if we will face it like that, like Joseph did, it will make a huge difference in our life. You know, you can grow to greater 
degrees in your Christian life in the year to come, if you will, every time God confronts you with something that needs to be changed, you will say, okay, God, I give in. I will do that. Instead of saying, oh, that's what the preacher thinks, and I don't agree with that, and well, so I'll, I'll keep looking until I find somebody that interprets that verse differently, because I'm sure there's somebody that interprets like me. And, you know, we make all kinds of excuses. Instead of just saying, okay, God, I'll obey. I'll do what you want. And God will bless you if you'll do that. God will bless me if I do that. Now, Joseph, in his devotion to God, he changed his plans. Notice what happens immediately here. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him Mary his wife, and knew her not until he had... Uh, she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, this is a big one. As soon as he woke up, he, he you know, texted his dad, or his father-in-law. No, he, he ran over the house and said, you know, I need to have a talk with you. I need to have a talk with you. And you can imagine her dad thinking, oh, no, what's happening now? And Joseph said, God sent an angel last night, and he told me the whole story. And he confirmed exactly what Mary said. And I believe it. And I'm ready to take her to be my wife. Let's have the marriage this afternoon. And right away, he took her to, his, to him as his wife. I don't know when their married wedding day was planned, but he said, forget the wedding plan. We're going to get married today. Let's get it done. Take care of it. I'll marry her right away. Now, think about this. In, in our culture, this happens all the time, and people don't even hardly think about it anymore. But 50 years ago, it was more like it was in those days. When someone was pregnant out of wedlock, it was a shameful thing. Today it's like, oh, no big deal. But it was a shameful thing. And when people got, when news got out that Mary's pregnant, everybody's thinking, oh, man, she's been immoral. What a wicked woman. Terrible person. And Joseph must be to blame. Remember, even when Jesus was now, when he was an adult, the people, the, what was one of the accusations that his enemies being make, made against him? We're not born out of wedlock. As if, hmm, we know about you. Right? And so, that was the common thinking. And they didn't like that. And it was a shameful thing. But Joseph said, I'm ready to take the shame. I know the truth. God's told me the truth. And I'll wear it. I don't care what people say. That's not my baby. It's God's baby. And I know all about that. And he was willing to take the shame and said, I'm going to marry her. So immediately he goes, makes plans, takes her to his wife, and he knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son. You know, that is also amazing. God gave Joseph special grace. And he knew her not sexually until she had brought forth her firstborn son. She was a virgin until she bore Jesus. But one of the things we need to make sure we understand, and a lot of people don't get it, is that after she brought forth her firstborn son, she was no longer a virgin. Joseph and Mary had normal family relationships. They had at least, they had four boys and at least two girls besides Jesus. So there were seven kids in the family. At least. There might have been more girls than that. All we know is the four boys are mentioned and the sisters are mentioned plural, so you know there's more than one. Might have been five sisters, who knows? But there was at least two. 
Okay? And you, you can dig into that and research that out yourself, but uh, we, we know that that is the case. Now, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and 56 is the verses that deal with his, his brothers and sisters, or his half-sisters and brothers. Uh, and immediately then, when, when obediently, when Joseph and Mary, when the baby was born, Joseph said his name's going to be Jesus. His name's going to be Jesus. And it didn't matter what the relatives wanted to say. You know, remember in those days, a lot of times the relatives, even when uh, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth had John, they were, all the relatives and friends were going to name him Zacharias. And they said, no, his name's John. What do you mean, John? Who's John? And, they said, and so and then, then that's when God opened Zacharias' mouth. It's when he wrote down, his name is John. And then God opened his mouth and let him speak again. And so God was in control of all this. Now, Joseph was, we find him very devoted to God. He did what God wanted him to do. But then also Joseph was dutiful. And we move into one more aspect of where we find Joseph's involvement in the incarnation and all that was involved here. Chapter 2 of Matthew. Chapter 2 is the, is the place where we find that the, Joseph and Mary were now staying in Bethlehem and in a, in a house. They were not in, a, in the stable anymore. And just make sure you get all the facts right. One of the, one of the songs we sang this morning, they, one of the verses, they had things twisted around. Said the star was, they saw the star in the east. Well, the star, they were in the east and they saw the star. The star was in the west. All right? And they followed the star west, not east. The people came from the east and went west. And so there's a lot of people that are confused about not only that, but the star had nothing to do with the manger. Nothing. The star had was t- sometime later, maybe a year, maybe Longer than that, later. Because in this passage here, I'm not going to take the time to read it all, but the first uh, ten verses is when Herod finds out. You know, the wise men came to uh, to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And when they said that, he immediately knew that he was talking about the Messiah. And Herod said, calls in the, the chief priests and the scribes and says, where is the Messiah going to be born? And so they go out and dig in their Bibles. They find him in Micah 5, 2 and said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod goes back and lies to him and says, you know, I want to worship him too. You know, it's, and you go see him. And he's going to be in Bethlehem. When you find him, come back and tell me. All right? And all of his lies. But deep down in his heart, he was scared. He was thinking, I got a rival. Somebody's going to try and take over from me. I'm not going to let that happen. And you know the story. He plots and kills all the babies in Bethlehem from two years old and younger. So we know that from the age that the, the time the star appeared and all the details, it, it was less than two years sometime in that period. Exactly how long from the birth until then, we don't know for sure. But it was, you know, during that time. And so probably, probably not two years old, maybe a year old, maybe six months old. We don't really know. But they're still there in Bethlehem, however long it had been, maybe even a few months. All right, so they're there in Bethlehem, and this all this takes place. Now, God speaks to Joseph again, and we find it down in verse number fourteen. Uh, well, actually, b- before that, um, let's look at verse number eleven. And when they were 
come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, silk, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And just because they brought three gifts doesn't mean that there was three wise men. We don't know that either. That's all conjecture. We don't know. And bearing uh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and uh, be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child uh, to destroy him. Now, the angel said, Joseph, I need you to take the babe and the mom and go to Egypt right now. Now, he gets this information. How does Joseph respond? He responds obediently and immediately. And we find in verse 14, and he arose and took the young child and his mother. What's the next two words? By night. I mean, he didn't even wait until morning. He said, we're leaving right now. We're getting out of here immediately. And so he wakes up in the middle of the night. He takes Mary and Jesus and they immediately leave and they escape the city and they headed south for Egypt. And so he immediately obeys. You know, if Joseph had hesitated or questioned God or decided to trust his feelings rather than God, what might have happened? Disaster. But Joseph was obedient. And, you know, trusting your feelings instead of trusting the Bible could lead to great problems. It could even lead a person to eternal doom by trusting their feelings instead of the Bible. We read over in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, it says, There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a lot of people out there that are saying, I... I just don't buy that story about, you know, Jesus is going to send everybody to hell. I think I'll be okay. I'm a pretty good person. I try hard and I'm a nice person. That's their feelings, but that's not Bible. And we need to encourage people to look beyond their feelings to what God said. And so just challenge them to see the truth of the Word of God. On Wednesday nights, we've just finished a great series by by, um, Ken Ham, and in the last one, he challenged us with the fact that we live in a world where people need, they they don't believe in God. They don't have any foundations of religion. And the gospel stays the same, but our approach to get into the hearts of people has to be in a way where we're trying to reach them with the the foundations. They don't even believe in the God and uh, of the Bible. And so, like in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul, when he was approaching the Greeks, he said to them, he said, I'm, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God that you don't know anything about, that you worship. You have this sign out there, we worship the unknown God. And Paul said, I'm going to tell you about that God. And he goes in and he tells them about creation. He says, this is the God that created all things. And he's, a, he's a, uh, the God that made everything. And he's done all these things. And this is what God is like. And he explained God to them because they didn't have any concept of what God he's talking about. And, you know, we've got to do the same kind of thing today. Reach into people's lives to help them to see who God is before they can possibly believe on that God. And so it is a challenge to us to do that, but one that we need to take to heart. Now, sadly, many Christians trust their feelings instead of trusting the Bible. And I've done it. You've probably done it too. I just don't think that, I don't want to do that. I I don't like that thought. That doesn't sound good to me. I, I know what God said, but... 
and we make excuses. But when that happens, we need to be careful because the Word of God is trustworthy. And we need to depend upon the Word of God. And when we're trusting our feelings instead of the Bible, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 13 says, Whoso despises the Word. Now the word despise means to think lightly of. Whoso thinks lightly of the Word shall be destroyed. But he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. So basically putting it in just a common conversation. He's saying there, if you think the Bible is not all that important, you're going to be destroyed. But if you fear the Bible, fear the commandments of the Bible and obey them, you'll be rewarded. Now that's a pretty good deal. God tells us, if you want God's rewards in your life, then obey the Bible. And if you just treat the Bible like it's, you know, I can live without it if I need to. And we don't spend time reading it. And we ignore the Bible or we just kind of push it aside. We're going to head for trouble. So God's just given us some basic information that will help us to understand we need the book. And it will guide us in the right direction. Now Joseph stayed there in Egypt until the death of Herod. And until God told him again to return through another angelic appearance. Now... From history, we can see here that Jesus was born probably about 5 B.C. Now, you know, I've often scratched my head, why why 5 B.C.? Why wasn't it zero? I don't know. I I don't know those details, but there's a good reason for it, I'm sure. And Herod died historically in 4 B.C. And so we know that it was probably about a year or so before uh Herod died, that Jesus had gone into Egypt, uh, and he's there for some time, so exactly, you know, when Jesus was born, how long he'd been there in Egypt, maybe he was only in Egypt for a few months, I don't know, but they waited until Herod died. Now remember, Herod was going to kill all the babies, why? Because I don't want anybody taking my spot, and then all of a sudden God says, we're done with you, and he drops over dead. And he's out of the scene. And then, God again brings another angel appearance to Joseph and tells him that he wants him to return. And so then we see down in verse number 19. And when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, uh, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. And uh, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. All right, so God sent another angel, told him again that I want you to go back to Israel now. And so immediately again, Joseph obeys. So each time we see this, Joseph was a devoted man. He was a man who walked with God. And when God said, do this, he did it. And he obeyed God. And so he went back and obeyed God and returned to Israel. And So God blessed him and met that need. Now, Joseph was, as we see the whole situation, think about the incarnation again from Joseph's perspective. He was at first disbelieving. He's saying, this is just incredible. I can't believe this. This is beyond comprehension. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But then when God revealed it to him through his word, God says, or Joseph says, all right, I believe. I accept it. And he immediately takes Mary to his wife, and he takes care of her, treats her as his wife, cares for her, and, and they, you know the story, they, they end up going to, to um, 
Bethlehem. She has the baby. And while they're there in Bethlehem, then they move to a house. And God sends the wise men. They come uh, some months later and they see the baby and they're excited. They give them the treasures. And God probably gave them all those treasures. Why? Because they're going to need some money while they're in Egypt. And God gave them all these things. And now they had the, the funds to, to do what they needed. And they fled to Egypt. And God took care of them while they're in Egypt. And then God says, all right, now it's time to go back. And Joseph obediently goes back. And so we see Joseph as an obedient to God's word, even though many times it was things that seemed incredible. And so the big thing that we can take away from this is this, that we can trust God. We need to trust God. I need to trust God. With the difficult things. Even when it doesn't make sense to me. Even when it's hard for me. Even when it's, you say, oh, I did, it's so hard to do what God said. Listen, God said, I'll bless you if you're obedient to the word. But if you're not obedient to the word, you're going to run into problems. And it's a good principle for us. Joseph learned that. He was obedient and God blessed him and cared for him. And there's much here we can ponder over. We've just kind of scratched the surface. I hope it'll get your thinking going and you'll go back in there, read it again. Think about it from Joseph's perspective and let that just soak into your heart and feed your soul this week.